Hello, and welcome to The Gospel Life. I'm Neil Tu, author of the book, The Gospel Life, and host of this podcast. In my 20s, I spent three years living among the monks. I learned from them an incredibly rich and fruitful way to pray called Lexio Divina, which is Latin for sacred reading. Lexio Divina is a Christian spiritual practice that has been around for over a thousand years. It's a way of entering into the presence of God who speaks in his word, listening to that word, meditating on it, retaining it, and responding in prayer to God who has just spoken to us. I follow this practice every day, and in this podcast, I share with you its fruits. I hope it blesses you. Episode 6, The Spark of the Heart. What would you say to Jesus if he called you into his presence and stood there, ready to listen to you? Today we hear the story of a man who received just such a grace. This is the journey of that man's soul to God. Section 1, Blind Bones in the Valley of Jericho. Today's gospel passage picks up where the last two left off. We're still in Mark, chapter 10, verse 46 to 52. You'll recall Jesus has been traveling and teaching. He taught the Pharisees on marriage and divorce, the rich young man about a good greater than all material goods, and James and John on the true meaning of greatness and of service. Now Jesus has found his way to Jericho, the famed city in Judea just northeast of Jerusalem. Jericho was the first city to fall before the people of Israel as they marched to the Promised Land. I imagine in the minds of the Jewish people, Jericho was something like Gettysburg to the people in the Union. It marked a turning point in the history and self-definition of the Jewish people, a high watermark that reminded them that God's providence had some mysterious design for their people. Jesus was teaching in Jericho, surrounded by his disciples and a large crowd. During his stay, he would have taught and healed there, just as he had done elsewhere. He would have established some kind of reputation. He was known to speak with uncanny authority about the kingdom of God and the intentions of Moses. The people would have been wondering about him. Was he a new Joshua, leading them more deeply into the kingdom of God? See Joshua, the book of Joshua, chapters 1-5. to This is the background for our story. Now, Jesus is on the road that leads out of Jericho. He's leaving the city. A blind man is there by the side of the road, begging for his livelihood. He hears a noise, a commotion, a crowd of people, and outside the ordinary hum in the air. The blind man inquires what it is. Someone tells him Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Now picture this. This man can see nothing but he can hear. He has heard of this Jesus, a traveling rabbi who heals in God's name, who proclaims God's mercy, who speaks like an ambassador of God's kingdom, who teaches and blesses in his name. Having no sense of how close this Jesus is to him, the man cries out loudly above the din of the crowd, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This is the prayer of a Jewish man seeing in Jesus a descendant of King David, one who proclaims the long-awaited restoration of the Davidic kingdom. But I think it's a little more than this. In Psalm 131, there is this promise. Quote, The Lord swore an oath to David. 
he will not go back on his word. A son, the fruit of your body, I will set upon your throne. Unquote. That's Psalm 131, verse 11 to 12. So a son of David on the throne of David. That's what Bartimaeus is proclaiming here. Here and now, he's seeing in this Jesus, the son of David, who will or who has inherited David's throne. In this sense, blind though he is, Bartimaeus actually sees farther in faith than the crowd around him. But no one listens. Bartimaeus' prayer is swatted aside like a fly on the back of a horse. The crowd rebukes him, telling him to be quiet. But this merciless reception does nothing to dissuade Bartimaeus. Jesus was near. Bartimaeus would stop at nothing to make his cry reach the ears of the rabbi. So he kept calling out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now we see something marvelous. We, we read in Greek, stas ho Jesus, the simple phrase which means Jesus stops. I want to say that again. Jesus stops. Could there ever be a greater joy for the human soul than to raise a prayer that stops the heart of God and bids him listen? What would it be like to pray in such a way, with such insistence, with such urgency, with such relentlessness, that Jesus stops, stops and turns and says, call him. For this is what Jesus says. He tells the crowd to call Bartimaeus and to bring him before Jesus. They do so with a word so lovely and steeped in meaning, it's worth fully quoting. Courage, they say. Rise, he is calling you. In Greek, it's a lovely phrase that goes like this, Tharse, egeri, phonese. As we journey, you and I, without full sight, along the dusty paths of this world, as we raise our voice to heaven, would that we too could hear such words. Courage, rise, he is calling you. Let's unpack this phrase. Courage. Tharse in Greek, it's an imperative. This is the same word Jesus speaks to the disciples as they tremble in the storm-tossed boat. It's the same word God spoke to Joshua before Joshua took Moses' mantle and led the people across the Jordan River. Courage. Do not fear. Next word is rise or egere in Greek. This is one of the two words used to denote Jesus' resurrection. It's so much more than just get up. The deeper meaning here is rise and stand in new life. It's a prophetic word uttered by the crowd at Jesus' bidding. It has the same kind of resonance of the word God gave to Jonah when he said, Rise, set out for the great city. Rise, I call you to new life. The last word here is, he calls you, phonese, the master calls. What joy would stir in the heart to hear these words? The master calls. He opens a direct dialogue between his heart and yours. He stands ready to welcome you into his presence. What would you feel if you knew this to be true? What would you say to Jesus if he called you into his presence and stood there listening to you? Next section is face to face with the son of David. A blind man does not lightly throw aside his cloak and leave it behind, for he cannot readily recover it if he does so. But Bartimaeus casts his cloak aside with abandon. He springs up. He comes to Jesus. 
One can sense the energy of his approach, the youthfulness of spirit. Bartimaeus is being given a hearing before the throne of goodness, and he approaches with joy, a child of the Jewish faith before the son of David. Jesus greets him with these remarkable words. What do you will that I do for you? Consider these words. We already know that Jesus has the gift of reading hearts. Even when people try to conceal their intentions, he knows, for example, when the Pharisees are trying to trip him up. When Jesus forgives the sins of the paralytic, to take one example, Jesus knows what the scribes are murmuring in their thoughts. He also knows when his disciples are bickering over who is the greatest. So when a blind man races up to him with expectant face, should we now imagine that Jesus doesn't know what he wants? Of course he knows. Even I could guess what a blind man might want from a man of God who has the gift of healing. Yet Jesus greets Bartimaeus with the question, What do you will that I do for you? Why does he ask this? It is the man's will that Jesus addresses here. The verb is thelo, to will. Will is something different than mere desire or want. It is an inclination toward the good, as it is conceived by the intellect. Only a human being can will, because only a human being has the rational power of intellect, capable of perceiving the good so the will can desire it. Our will is something we share in the image of God. For will is the same word that designates the fundamental principle of the Father's action on earth, that Jesus told us to pray for every day when we say, May your will be done. Only in this case, Jesus asks, What is Bartimaeus' will? It's a remarkable question. When we pray with earnestness, with holy relentlessness, with faith, with trust, with love, the moment will arise as surely as the sun rises in the morning that Jesus says to us, What do you will that I do for you? Let me recap this. It might help. So Jesus knows what Bartimaeus wants, but he wants Bartimaeus to say it, to vocalize it, to concretize it, to raise his prayer before the son of David, and to be ennobled as he does so as his prayer becomes incarnate, moving from spirit in the heart to matter in spoken word. I think Jesus wants Bartimaeus to experience the dignity of standing upright, noble in his humanity, a man broken but beloved, a man remade in the kingdom. Just as Jesus waited for the woman who touched his cloak in Mark chapter 5, he waited for this woman who touched his cloak to present herself, to receive her, her healing face to face in front of the community. So Again, that's Mark chapter 5 verses 25 to 34. In the same way, Jesus wants Bartimaeus to know he is a man whose heart and prayer matter before heaven. He is not forgotten along the road. He is not forlorn, broken, and begging, told by the world to keep quiet. Bartimaeus is a man made to stand upright before God. He is seen, just as surely as he will soon see. Bartimaeus is a poor man who, in God's eyes, is a noble man before the son of David. In the face of Jesus' questions, Bartimaeus now stands a little taller than usual and expresses his will before the face of the Father on earth. He says, Rabbi, that I might see. That's how he responds to Jesus' question, What do you will that I do for you? 
Jesus' response is swift, if a little puzzling. He says, go, your faith has saved you. Immediately, Bartimaeus receives his sight. But note the response here from Jesus. It's not, okay, I grant your request, you are healed. But instead, he says, go, your faith has saved you. Jesus is saying something here. He wants the blind man to know that the still small voice of faith in his heart, faint at first like a mouse squeak amidst the din of that crowd, Jesus wants him to know that that is what saved him. That mustard seed of faith moved the mountain of blindness. Jesus is trying to empower, to invalidate, to strengthen this voice of faith, which is somehow like the voice of God in Bartimaeus. Jesus wants him and the crowd and you to know that that little inkling which stirred in his heart is what gave rise to the new physical vitality he now discovers. I think what we are witnessing here is like God putting flesh upon the dry bones in Ezekiel's vision. See Ezekiel 37 verse 1 to 14. Jesus is validating the quiet voice of Bartimaeus' heart. He is building a human life around what began as a feeble spiritual impulse. That's why he made him utter his prayer in public. That's why he tells Bartimaeus his faith is the source of his healing. Faith in Jesus, to be sure, but specifically, it is faith that dwells in the heart of just one poor man that moves Jesus. Faith that flickers like the first spark from flint. Jesus always seeks this kind of faith. He stands in awe of such faith whenever he sees it. For example, when he saw it in the heart of a centurion in Luke chapter 7, verse 9, he also praises it when he finds it firm and unflappable in the heart of a Canaanite woman. See Matthew chapter 15, verse 28. And Jesus laments when he sees the absence of faith in a synagogue of Nazareth. See Mark chapter 6, verse 6. In a way, Jesus has called Bartimaeus forward for the sake of the crowd as well. Before a crowd of people with sight, he's dramatizing the presence of sight in Bartimaeus' heart. Your faith has saved you, he says. Your faith is a form of spiritual sight. The end of the story shows just how true Bartimaeus' sight is. For he responds to his healing, not by returning to grab his cloak and going on his own way, but by following Jesus along Jesus' way. This is the act of a disciple, the act of one whose deep sight is restored. We close with a prayer. Jesus, I cry to you. I raise my prayer to heaven. I will not cease my prayer until I hear from you these words in my heart. Ti soy teles poyeso. What do you will that I do for you? Jesus, teach me what it means to pray from the heart to raise my heart above the din and the noise of the crowd and of my circumstances, to pray in such a way that you stop, that you turn to me, that you call me into your presence and listen to my heart and reveal to me your great love. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Gospel Life. I hope this podcast encourages you to practice Lexio Divina in your own life. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe to this channel or follow it. 
You might also want to purchase a copy of the book which inspired this podcast and where I explain a method of Lexio Divina that can work for lay people. To learn more, please visit thegospellife.net. Thank you very much.